care, but America is dying. I don't see no love nowhere. You say you love this country and the freedoms that we share, but America is dying. I don't see no love nowhere. They say America is dying. They say America is dead. Merry Christmas, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Around the Campfire with Kate. Dave Bray and Jeremy Harold did an amazing job on the music and lyrics of the introduction song, America is Dying, But It's Not Too Late. There will be no news tonight on this show, just unusual Christmas stories that you may probably know, but or you've just heard but never really paid much attention to. But each story has their unique relationship with our Creator. Christmas is supposed to be a lovely season, right? You know, filled with hope and love, decorated with sparkly, twinkly lights and the glitter of gifts. Except when it's not. Except when Christmas is broken. A cancer diagnosis. A child who is far away from home at war. A runaway spouse. Unemployment, loneliness, COVID, a broken heart, a broken soul, a broken spirit, a broken Christmas. When life breaks all around us at Christmas, we wonder, what have we done wrong? And just where is God this season? In these moments of heartbreaking grief, remember that we have an empty space because we were blessed with someone who loved us so beautifully that it occupied an entire part of our soul and that God is where he's always been. Emmanuel, God with us. The very first Christmas was a broken Christmas. It began with a pregnant, unwed teen girl and a fiancé who wondered if she might have cheated on him. It continued with an elderly cousin of this teenager, also pregnant, whose pastor husband did not believe that she could be pregnant. He was struck silent until the birth of his son. A census was ordered where the young couple had to undergo a three-day journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Even though the young girl was far along in her pregnancy, and then the first Christmas was born in a cattle trough amongst animals in a feeding manger because there was no room for the little family in a proper inn. Yes, The first Christmas was a broken Christmas. When God so loved our broken world, our broken hearts, our broken souls, and our broken spirits, that he gave his son to be born, to grow up and live and walk through this broken planet to eventually die a broken yet complete death with his bloodied body on a cross, 
his broken body for our broken need. Matthew one twenty three in the scripture says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us, has come to live with us in our broken lives to redeem and to mend us. The audio you are about to hear touched me in a way that no other audio has been touched in me for a long time. I hear this poem as a soldier of foreign wars, and as many of us can relate to the words, we begin this Christmas broadcast. This is a call-in show through Skype only, so if you want to call in and share your own Christmas story, please feel free. You can call in using Skype through PSN Radio. Was the night before Christmas, he lived all alone in a one-bedroom house made of plaster and stone. I had come down the chimney with presents to give and to see just who in this dwelling did live. I looked all around, a strange sight to see. No tinsel, no presents, not even a tree. No stockings on the mantle, just boots filled with sand. On the wall hung pictures of far distant lands. Medals and badges, awards of every kind. A sobering thought came alive in my mind. This house was different. It was dark, it was dreary. I had found the home of a soldier. I could see that most clearly. The soldier lay sleeping, silent, alone, curled up on the floor in this one-bedroom home. His face was so gentle, the room in such disorder, not at all how I pictured a United States soldier. Was this the hero of whom I'd just read, curled up on a poncho, the floor for a bed. Then I realized the other families that I saw this night owed their lives to soldiers who were willing to fight. In the morning round the world, children would play. Grown-ups would celebrate a bright Christmas day. But they all enjoy freedom each month of the year because of soldiers like the one lying here. I couldn't help but wonder how many lay alone on a cold Christmas Eve in lands far from home. The very thought put a tear to my eye. I dropped to my knees and I started to cry. The soldier awakened. I heard his rough voice. Santa, don't cry. This life is my choice. I fight for freedom. I don't ask for more. My life is my God, my country, my core. The soldier rolled over and drifted to sleep. But I couldn't control it, and I continued to weep. 
I kept watch for hours, so silent and still, as both of us shivered from the cold night's chill. I didn't want to leave him on that cold, dark night, this guardian of honor, so willing to fight. Then the soldier rolled over with a voice soft and pure. He whispered, Carry on, Santa. It's Christmas Day. All secure. One look at my watch, I knew he was right. Merry Christmas, my friend. May God bless you this night. Louis Lamour once said, Few of us ever live in the present. We are forever anticipating what is to come or remembering what is gone. Author and full member of the Western Writers of America, Ben H. English of Alpine, Texas, writes, When this country has a dry year, as it want to do, you tend to see the land from a different perspective. Like any living creature bent on survival, the desert adapts to these circumstances by changing its routes, its behavior, and its daily activities. What is frivolous is ignored or forgotten. What is of little importance is sacrificed. And what can be saved and built upon is guarded, even at the cost of life. With renewed determination and zealotry, in turn, every living thing, every animal, bird, plant, or insect also adapts to these changes. If it does not, it will die, and something more adaptable will take its place. As I have said to others many times before, the big lower bend is a place where the ball-marked Darwinism is always in play. But the observant man, the man who sees what is happening, is here and now, uses these deviations in nature to learn more of what it is around him. He pays attention to the animal tracks, to the flight of the birds, the buzzing of the bees, and the sight of anything green that tips the desert's hand as to where water can be found. In this he learns where the most dependable sources are hidden away, be it seep, spring, or tinya. For even these are in a sort of battle with the desert, as well as each other. Once he finds or rediscovers these spots, another view of the world becomes readily evident, be it the past, the present, or the future. For where water is found, signs of man are found with it, no matter how unlikely the location may be. Whether 10,000 years ago or only a century past, the remains of those prior lives are present, if you know how and where to look. More so, this epiphany of sorts will also point to where life will be found in the future, no matter how challenging the surrounding environment might be. For it is the way of the desert, and the way of the desert born.
What does this have to do with Christmas? Well, it has to do with life. Feeling the brokenness of what sometimes life throws in our direction. Searching for the life-giving water in a desert where it's so hot inside your soul that you swear there must be blisters on your heart. And you must find that water to quench the thirst of brokenness before the landscape of your soul changes and the fittest survives. Where every storm runs out of rain, there is a chance that you are in a storm right now. It may be dark, rainy, windy, snowing, frigid cold. You may feel like you will never get out of the storm. And it has been a year of trials and storms for everyone. There is no doubt in my mind about that. Financial hardships, losing loved ones, losing homes, losing your strength, and seemingly losing hope. And then now, the holidays. The list this year seems to be a long one, much like the year which is almost over. The storm can only last so long, and it'll soon be over. Because every storm runs out of rain. And on the other side, there's light. There is energy. There is blue sky, so hold on. One step in the desert leads to another step until finally the storm is over. If you're feeling the storm, the rain, the frigid cold, the dark, remember, you are stronger than this moment. You are braver than you know. And you are so much love to so many people. So simply put, you matter. And every storm runs out of rain. Albert Einstein once said that imagination is more important than knowledge. When most people scream that knowledge is power, knowledge is limited. Imagination encircles the world. Christmas is either an inconvenient outrage or an experience so deeply spiritual that no matter how many imposters, death, divorce, estrangement, loneliness, broken promises have violated the holiday itself, there is a deeper thing, a sort of epiphany that converts us year after year from the self-pity of the moment to a new birth of the only deity who was born crying in the night for us all. There's hardly been a Christmas since I was able to perceive Christmas that hasn't pulled me into some soul-shaking insight that has become a part of my experience. The following lyrics by Gloria Gaither is one such epiphany. It was the revelation that the God-child must be planted in me and that I must be as willing as Mary to bear its ballooning dimensions and face whatever scorn or misunderstanding 
it may take to carry this inception to its final conclusion. In the process, I myself will be filled with the wonder of being chosen and bow my heart to worship and awe of something God has caused me to conceive. I, too, not only must journey to the place where my personal history is charted for me, but I also must not lose sight of the star as I go. I must believe angels without question. The birthing of God in me is just for me, but also for others. And this birthing is not just for others, but also for me. In the incubation and delivery process, I too will be born and reborn. My heart will be your Bethlehem, a shelter for your birth. My body be your dwelling place, a sacred temple of this earth. By holy intervention, an act of the divine, in union with mortality, make incarnation mine. My will would bow in wonderment, struck by silent awe of angels' visitation that wakes my slumbering heart at dawn. With some annunciation, my soul could magnify Begin in me a holy seed that I cannot deny. My mind would make a pilgrimage wherever promise shines. Illuminate eternal things that I might not mistake the sign. No matter what it costs me, be journey long or far. Oh, may I trade all treasure rare for following your star. My heart my will, my mind, my all, I consecrate to bring the Holy Son of God to earth. Oh, let the angels sing. This Christmas, I wish for you a fresh, life-molding epiphany. May the incarnation be much more than a sweet story but a personal recommitment to let this God who reaches for us to be incubated in us and delivered to the world, no matter the cost. The cost may be greater as history unfolds, but our very souls must be his dwelling place and his message of transforming love, which is our life source. Just after Christmas, in the late 1980s, there was a soldier that had received his orders to be deployed overseas to a war zone. He decided to go to the library to study about the culture of the religion and the region that he was about to deploy to. The soldier was directed to a particular book by the library. In the margins throughout the book was writing that intrigued him. The writing was passionate about the people of the war-torn country. And the person accidentally left her name and address on an envelope inside of the book. These were the days without internet, so one could not just look up a name on the internet and acquire a telephone number. So the soldier wrote, wrote the lady a letter and asked if he could correspond with her while he was stationed at this country, ask her questions about her knowledge of the country, and learn from 
her point of view. The lady wrote the soldier in return and agreed to be his pen pal. Then they exchanged telephone numbers and the letters. While deployed, the soldier sent photographs of himself to the lady, what he was doing, the people, and the despair of the refugees. He shared his compassion and word on paper. She revealed her heart and bared her soul of her passion for the same people. Each time the soldier asked the lady for a photograph, she would refuse. They talked on the telephone as often as his commanding officer would allow, sometimes sharing their hearts and fears, and sometimes no words were necessary, as one would would talk and the other one would listen. They both fought it, but they fell in love. They fell in love with the soul of who, who each other was, not an idea, not a fictional character, but the very soul and essence of one another. After a year and a half went by, the soldier was coming home on Christmas leave. The soldier and the lady had agreed to meet at the library where he had first found the book, and there he would ask her to dinner. The lady told the soldier that she would be the lady seated wearing a pink rose. The day came when the soldier got off the plane. Instead of going home to see his parents, he went straight to the library. He was so nervous. When he walked inside the library, only a few people were there. His heart was pounding as he walked past a few tables. And then he saw her. She was beautiful. Then she walked toward him. He could not take his eyes off of her. She walked with confidence and with an air of innocence and wonder. Her beauty took his breath away, and as she walked by, her scent was just as he had imagined. And then he realized that she was not wearing a flower. His heart was troubled, for he knew her without having ever met her. He felt her when he needed her most, when he was shot at her, bombs were bursting and smacking shrapnel into his helmet and pack. She saved him so many times on the battlefield. He knew her. And then he came to a table where an older, sophisticated woman was wearing a pink rose. His heart sank. Yet he knew that he was in love with the woman that he had shared so much with, and that bond was strong. As he approached, she raised her head, and their eyes met. She smiled, and he returned the smile. He introduced himself and asked the woman to dinner. The older woman smiled and even brought her smile and said, Son, I don't know you or the situation, but the woman you just passed asked me to wear this flower. And if a soldier came and asked me to dinner, I was to tell him that she was waiting for you outside. 
had the soldier walked away when he saw the older woman, he would have never known what he missed. His integrity and love was stronger than the outer beauty of a woman. He did the right thing, even when it was hard. And he reaped the rewards of his honor. The soldier proposed to the lady on Christmas Day. And she accepted. They had planned to wed when he returned from his tour of duty overseas. Five months later, with two months left of this soldier's tour, the soldier was killed in Operation Desert Storm in a battle with an IED. The lady received word with a letter from her beloved that he was gone, never to return. His last blood-stained letter that he carried in his Bible beside his heart was his last words to her, telling her that he loved her for eternity and that he would wait for her in heaven. The season of Christmas can hold the sting of pain and death. But Christmas can also hold life and love. This lady found a very rare love in a man through letters from the soul. She will always be thankful to this soldier for showing her that love is not just a word. On Christmas Eve in 1914, in the dank muddy trenches of the Western Front of the First World War, a remarkable thing happened. It came to be called the Christmas Truce, and it re remains one of the most storied and strangest moments of the Great War, or any other war in history. British machine gunner Bruce Barnesfather, later a prominent cartoonist, wrote about it in his memoirs, like most of his fellow infant Entry, infantrymen of the 1st Battalion of the Royal Warwickshire Regiment. He spent the holiday shivering in the muck, just trying to keep warm. He'd spent a good part of the past few months fighting the Germans. And now, in a part of the Belgium called Boys de Plogerstert, I probably butchered that, he was crouched in a trench that stretched just three feet deep by three feet wide, his days and nights marked by an endless cycle of sleeplessness and fear, stale biscuits and cigarettes too wet to light. Here I was in this horrible clay cavity, Baron's father wrote, miles and miles from home, cold, wet through, covered in mud, there didn't seem the slightest chance of leaving except in an ambulance. Then the singing started. About 10 p.m., Baron's father noticed a noise. I listened, he recalled. Away across the field, among the dark shadows beyond, I could hear the murmur of voices. He turned to a fellow soldier in his trench and said, Do you hear the Polches, or the Germans, kicking up that racket over there? Yes, came the reply. They've been at it for some time. 
the Germans were singing Christmas carols. Well, it was Christmas Eve. In the darkness, some of the British soldiers began to sing back. Suddenly, Baron's father recalled, we heard a confused shouting from the other side. We all stopped to listen. Then the shout came again. The voice was from an enemy soldier speaking English with a strong German accent. He was saying, Come over here. One of the British sergeants answered, You come halfway? I come halfway. What happened next would, in years to come, stun the world and make history. Enemy soldiers began to climb nervously out of their trenches and to meet in the barbed wire-filled no-man's land that separated the armies. Normally, the British and Germans communicated across no-man's land with streaking bullets, with only occasional gentlemanly allowances to collect the dead unmolested. But now, there were handshakes and words of kindness. The soldiers traded songs, tobacco and wine, joining in spontaneous holiday party in the cold night. Baron's father could not believe his eyes. Here they were, the actual practical soldiers of the German army. There was not an atom of hate on either side, he said. And it wasn't confined to just that one battlefield. Starting on Christmas Eve, small pockets of French, German, Belgian, and British troops held impromptu ceasefires across the Western Front, with reports of some Eastern Front as well. Some accounts suggest a few of these unofficial truces remained in effect for days. For those who participated, it was surely a welcome break from the hell that they'd been enduring. When the war had begun just six months earlier, most soldiers figured it would be over quickly and they would be home with their families in time for the holidays. Not only would the war drag on for four more years, but it would prove to be the bloodiest conflict ever up until that time. The Industrial Revolution had made it possible to mass-produce new and devastating tools for killing, among them fleets of airplanes and guns that could fire hundreds of rounds per minute. And the bad news on both sides had left the soldiers with plummeting morale. There was the devastating Russian defeat at Tannenberg in August of 1914, and the German losses in the Battle of the Marne a week later. By the time winter had approached in 1914 and the chill set in, the western front stretched hundreds of miles. Countless soldiers were living in misery in the trenches on the fronts, while tens of thousands had already died. And then Christmas came. Descriptions of the Christmas truce appear in numerous diaries and letters of the time. One British soldier, a rifleman named Jay Redding, wrote a letter home to his wife describing his holiday experience in 1914. 
he said. My company happened to be in the firing line on Christmas Eve. And it was my turn to go into the ruined house and remain there until 6.30 on Christmas morning. During the early part of the morning, the Germans started singing and shouting, all in good English. They shouted out, Are you the rifle brigade? Have you a spare bottle? If so, we will come halfway, and you come the other half. Later on in the day, they came toward us, Redding described, and our chaps went out to meet them. I shook hands with some of them. They gave us cigarettes and cigars. We did not fire that day, and everything was so quiet it seemed like a dream. Another British soldier named John Ferguson recalled it this way. Here we were laughing and chatting to men whom only a few hours before we were trying to kill. Other diaries and letters describe German soldiers using candles to light Christmas trees all around their trenches. One German infantryman described how a British soldier set up a makeshift barbershop, charging Germans a few cigarettes each for haircut. Other accounts describe vivid scenes of men helping enemy soldiers collect their dead, and which there were plenty. One British fighter named Ernie William later described in an interview his recollection of some makeshift soccer play on what turned out to be an icy pitch. He said, the ball appeared from somewhere. I don't know where. They made up some goals and one fellow went in a goal and then it was just a general kickabout. I should think there were about a couple of hundred taking part. German Lieutenant Kirk Jaimich of the 134th Saxon Infantry, a school teacher who spoke both English and German, also described a pickup soccer game in his diary, which was discovered in an attic near Leipzig in 1999, written in an archaic German form of shorthand. And he said, Eventually the English brought a soccer ball from their trenches, and pretty soon a lively game ensued, he wrote. How marvelously wonderful, yet how strange it was. The English officers felt the same way about it. Thus Christmas, the celebration of love, managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends, but only for a time. Gradually, news of the Christmas truce made it to the press. And they said, Christmas has come and gone. Certainly the most extraordinary celebration of it, of any of it, we will ever experience. One soldier wrote in a letter that appeared in the Irish Times on January 15, 1915, he described, a large crowd of officers and men, English and German, grouped around dead bodies, which had been gathered together and laid out in rows. The Germans, this British soldier said, were quite affable. Just how many soldiers participated in these informal holiday gatherings has been debated. 
There's no way to know for sure since the ceasefires were on small scale, haphazard, and entirely unauthorized. A Time magazine story on the 100th anniversary claimed that as many a 100,000 people took part. At least one account has survived of a Christmas truce gone bad. The story of Private Percy Huggins, a Briton who was relaxing in no man's land with the enemy when a sniper shot to the head, killed him, and then set off more bloodshed. The sergeant who took Huggins' place, hoping to avenge his death, was in him and killed. In another account, a German scolded his fellow soldiers during the Christmas truce. He said, Such a thing should not happen in wartime. Have you no German sense of honor left? That 25-year-old soldier's name was Adolf Hitler. Neither was high command pleased with the festivities. On December 7, 1914, Pope Benedict had implored the leaders of the battling nations to hold a Christmas truce and asking that the guns may fall silent at least upon the night that the angels sang. The plea was officially ignored. So, when a truce spontaneously broke out, the leaders of all the armies were reportedly horrified. British General Sir Horace Smith Dorian wrote in a confidential memorandum that this is only illustrative of the apathetic state we are gradually sinking into. Some accounts of the Christmas truce hold that soldiers were punished for fraternization and top command issued orders that it should never happen again. For the rest of World War I, a conflict that would ultimately claim roughly 15 million lives. No Christmas truces appear to have occurred. But in 1914, these curious holiday get-togethers reminded all those involved that wars were fought not by forces, but by human beings. For years after, the truth became fodder for everything from artwork to made-for-television movies to advertisement to popular songs. Today, a memorial stands in England's National Memorial Arboretum commemorating the Christmas truce. It was dedicated by Prince William of England. On the 100th anniversary in 2014, the English and German national soccer teams staged a friendly match in England in remembrance of the soldiers' impromptu soccer games of 1914. What stands out most today, however, are the memories of the soldiers themselves, preserved in their own penmanship. One rifleman of Britain's 3rd Rifle Brigade recounted a German soldier saying, Today we have peace. Tomorrow we fight for our country. You fight for yours, I fight for mine. Good luck. As for Britain's Bruce Barnes' father, he summed up the distinct historic moment this way by saying, 
Looking back on it all, I wouldn't have missed that unique and weird Christmas day for anything. You know, rumor has it that the two sides got orders afterwards to continue fighting, and they did. Only neither side lost a man between those two areas. Because for some reason, bullets went way too high and artillery fell way off target. And this Christmas is shaping up to be a very unusual one. It appears as if governors and mayors are vying to be the Grinch who stole Christmas by telling families to stay away from one another and just stay locked down for the entire holiday. Yes, we should all be careful and take precautions. But all of the things that the governors and mayors and health officials do not have the power to do is cancel Christmas. King Herod in the scriptures tried that over 2,000 years ago, and that did not end well. The first Christmas was proof that God could break through the most powerful resistance on earth. And just like water finding a place to get through on a rock stream with a beaver dam, God's love found its way to earth in the uncanniest of ways. God showed up. The first Christmas marks when God showed up in person, and yet in the most unlikely way. He did not show up in unlimited power and glory, but as a newborn baby, delivered by a young, teenage, unmarried couple who were engaged but who had not yet consummated their, as of yet, untaken vows. Born miraculously to a young virgin, the Christ child was born in a little cave where animals sheltered. With no crib available, the baby was wrapped tightly in some cloths, as was the custom of the day, and then placed in the trough where the animals ate their hay. Now when we sing the Christmas carol, Away in a manger, no crib for his bed. We tend to sing it so wistfully and romantically. We have actually glorified the term manger as if it's a very holy place. Come on, people, it was a trough. It was a place where animals could come in the shelter of the cave and eat. God showed up on a dinner plate intended for sheep, goats, and cattle. Why? Because God wanted the poorest and helpless person on earth to know that their circumstances were never so low that it would be beneath God to come to them. You know something? God is still showing up. 
He shows up for the homeless person who sleeps in a cardboard box. He shows up for the junkie whose veins have collapsed from their abuse of drugs. He shows up for the emancipated meth addict whose teeth have rotted away into little stubs. He shows up for the alcoholic who does not believe that he can give it up because that is where he drowns his hurts and his sorrows. God shows up for the lonely single mother who will struggle to buy one simple toy for her child. He shows up for the abused wife that tries to hide her bruises and cuts inflicted upon her by some monster of a man. God shows up for the lonely child whose mother abandoned him to find what she thought would be love with some stranger who is just as desperate as she is. God shows up for the elderly who is shut up in a nursing home whose family is not allowed to visit because of COVID. And God shows up for the middle-aged man who feels like a total failure and considers suicide because none of his dreams have come true. And God shows up for that soldier, the ones that are in the trenches, the ones that are in the trenches of the physical battlefields and the mental battlefields and in our very souls. Government officials cannot can do a lot and they sure think that they can cancel Christmas. But it would be easier for them to cancel tomorrow's sunrise than to think that they can keep God from showing up in your life. Christmas. Christmas. And that is man's best friend. And Docs is man's best friend. Christmas can never be canceled because if God can show up in a filthy, nasty feeding trough for animals, he can surely show up for you. And no power on this earth can cancel his presence in your life. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. As you all heard, my big wonderful dog decided that he wanted to say hello to whatever snow is going on outside. This is his first real snow since we have moved here. And it is snowing outside right now here at Ranch 2.0. Yesterday was dry and windy and cold. It was almost 60 degrees tonight. 
It's supposed to be windy and frigid at around 12 degrees with an accumulation of three to six inches of snow. Many dream of a white Christmas and just right on cue, my dog decided to bark at the snow and just hello to that cold, white, fluffy stuff. I dream of a white Christmas. It's the first one we've had since we've moved here. I dream of love in my life, a love that only God can bring. I can hear the moisture of the snow sizzling as it melts on the coals, and I wonder about that first Christmas. Whether you believe in the Christ child or not, you must wonder about that kind of love that a father would have to give up his only child for the sins of mankind. I do. So I sit here and I watch as the snow falls. Come Saturday and Sunday, there will be no more snow left on the ground. But for tonight, on Christmas Eve, and tomorrow on Christmas Day, the snow will be on the ground all over this area. And my hope and prayer for you all is that you have a blessed Christmas and that Christmas be every day in your life. Descends the broadcast for me tonight. Train hard, train smart to survive, start, thrive, and stay alive. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. You say you love this country, you say you really care, but a man.